Well, good morning. You can have a seat. How's everybody doing? Still uh, got a little trip to fan going on? No? Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. We had a wonderful Thanksgiving with my family. It was so much fun. We ate way too much food as we normally do. Did anybody have any turkey the past couple days? Anyone? Who's still eating turkey? Yes. God bless you. So for me, I know for sure um, that after we ate that first meal on Thanksgiving, I went back probably three times to get more green beans, more mac and cheese, more a little bit of everything. And um, each time I went back, I thought, what am I doing? But I just keep going back and going back and going back. I mean, you can relate to that kind of thing. I mean, here's how we celebrate Thanksgiving. We just eat as much as we possibly can and then eat some more. So I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'm glad that you're here this morning. Um, but in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all the hustle and bustle of Thanksgiving, all the cooking, all the eating, all of everything else, I hope we did get a chance to slow down enough to just be thankful for what God has done in our life. Maybe you looked around the table for once and just said, you know, God, thank you for this. All that you're doing, all that I am and all that I have, we want to thank you. So today during Thanksgiving, it's interesting to me that um, when we finish up a holiday, almost immediately following, we look forward to the next holiday. Is that weird to anybody else besides me? I mean, 4th of July finishes and immediately Halloween stuff comes into Walmart. And you guys start getting all your stuff out and ready to go for the next thing. And then Thanksgiving gets done and immediately it's time for what? Christmas. I mean, this is the best time of year, is it not? In the coming weeks as we prepare for Christmas, it seems like it just comes faster and faster and sooner and sooner every single year. You might go shopping on Friday. You won't admit it, will you? I see two of you. I mean, this, is a, this is a strange time. Thanksgiving's done, so it's Black Friday now. Tomorrow, Cyber Monday, and immediately, boom, it becomes Christmas, just like that right here, right now. And the countdown has begun. I know that some of you in the room, um, you're, a, you're weird, and when Christmas finished last year, immediately you started to prepare for 365 days till next Christmas. Did you not? You know, how, you know how I can know who you are? You're the people who leave your lights on your house year-round. Don't laugh. You know you do it. You're like, oh, it's because it's too difficult to put it up next year. Really? We won't even plug them in, don't worry. I know, but you can still see them. It's just a little odd. I feel like my wife, you listen to Christmas music year-round. It's like creating like 4th of July. Everybody else is doing 4th of July stuff. You're listening to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's a little weird. But the thing, the thing is, I mean, you're a weird breed, but you're dedicated. You know, you like every year, you're waiting, anticipating, you're expecting about Christmas coming 365 days from now. And the weird thing is, when Christmas ends this year, you'll do the exact same thing again. You'll amp up for Christmas the following year. But anticipation and expectation, it's all a part of Christmas, is it not? I mean, the build-up to Christmas is as fun as Christmas Day itself. Because if we're honest, when Christmas Day is over, you wake up the next morning, you're like, oh, man, this went by so fast. Better get ready for next year. This is often what we do. But the anticipation, the expectation, it's a part of the whole experience. It's a part of the magic of Christmas. And I, and I love it. And, and I remember when I was a kid, maybe you did this too, but in school we would make those little, those little paper rings. And you would put them around each other and you'd make a long paper ring strand. And every day leading up to Christmas you'd break one off. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? No? Okay, good. All right, yeah, we did this as children in Indiana. Maybe that's like a northern thing. But you break a ring off, and it seemed like that, that ring to begin with, the, the whole strand was like a mile long. Every time you break one, like two more would magically appear where the one that you took off was. You just couldn't wait. There was so much anticipation around it. Or maybe those gifts that come underneath the tree, you know, as you're getting closer, or you're sitting there waiting for Christmas Eve to finally happen. And I don't know about you, but those, those presents would, would beg to me, they would speak to me, like, just come shake me. Just scientifically weigh me to find out what Santa has. I mean, there was so much excitement around the whole thing. I experienced this, and chances are you experienced this too. And for me, you know, trying to go to sleep on Christmas Eve, forget about it. 
You know, I, had, I had as much luck going to sleep on Christmas Eve as I did fitting in my jeans on January 1st. You know, it's like not gonna happen. And your children, if you have kids, you know what that's like. Go to sleep, everyone. Yeah, right. They don't do it. There's so much excitement that, that surrounds the whole thing. And, and really, it's the magic of Christmas. This is what it's really all about, this waiting, but at the same time, this anticipation, this expectation. And being an Advent Christian, someone who is really oriented to this whole Advent season that we're about to experience, is someone who fundamentally know what it's, knows what it's like to wait and anticipate with expectancy. Now, me and my home, we have two boys. And so I've begun to really enjoy Christmas even more and more the more I see my boys enjoy Christmas. Anybody in the room has have kids and Christmas has taken on a new light of its own with the children that are in the home. But I'll tell you what, here's what I know. Children are not good at waiting either. The anticipation kills them. In fact, we did a little experiment here at the church to see how good they are at waiting and anticipating. So check out this video. Do you know what that is? Christmas tree. Christmas tree peep. Do you like peeps? I love peeps. Do you like marshmallows? Yeah. You like candy? Yeah. All right, well, you're gonna love that. Guess what, you can have it, okay? You can have it right now. But if you wait, if you wait until I get back, I'll give you two, okay? Or you can eat it now, it's up to you. I'll be right back, okay? But feel free to spend some time with your peep, okay? Be right back, Eli. Is a Christmas peep. You want to eat it? Guess what? Oh, I got a deal for you. Is it good? Mm -hmm. I bet it is. All right. If you don't eat the rest of that, wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> well, that's yours. You can eat it. But wait, wait a minute. You can have it now if you want. You can eat it right now if you want. Or, but I gotta be. I'll be. I'm gonna leave for a second. And when I come back, if you still didn't eat it, I'll give you two. Okay? Or you can eat it now. It's up to you. Good job. 
You ready to come with me? After you just two. Oh, are you gonna eat them both here? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. What? What? I love some food. What? And you can relate to that, though, can't you? You can, you can just see inside their brain the kind of thing that it's doing, trying not to. My son was one of those. I, I watched him lick his lips, you know, just act like he was eating it, even though he wasn't eating it. This is anticipation. This is expectation. This is what it's like waiting for something, especially during this time of year. This is a part of Christmas. But I love it. I love the kind of joy you see on their face when they see a Christmas peep on a plate in front of them, and let alone two Christmas peeps on the plate in front of them. I believe that through our children, we get to see and truly enjoy Christmas unlike any other. Many of us, however, and maybe you can relate to this, you become a little bit scroogey over time, have you not? Where Christmas once was like this enjoyable anticipation has become something completely different. Now all Christmas is about is getting ready for all the relatives to come and make sure all the house is perfect, all put together, that you're cooking just the right thing, that all the right gifts get bought, they all get wrapped, they all get all these things. We, we try so hard to make Christmas about something, unfortunately, totally different from what it originally was for us when we knew what it was like to anticipate and have excitement around the whole season. And when we become scroogey, we, we really miss out on what this whole thing is about. With my boys in the home, I get to see through their eyes what it's like to experience Christmas all over again. And through my wife's eyes, experience Christmas all over again. It's her favorite time of the season. It's beautiful, this anticipation. You know, for followers of Jesus, for hundreds of years, we have celebrated this season called Advent. You know, for a lot of us, we want to kind of speed on to Christmas Day, but what happens now, beginning over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas Day, is a season called Advent. And the Christian church has celebrated this for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And what Advent is really about, it's, it's about waiting. It's about anticipation. And Advent itself is really, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means the coming or the arrival. And the Advent season is all about the arrival of Jesus Christ, not just one day 2,000 years ago as a baby in a manger, but through his life, his death, his resurrection. One day we believe as Christians that he will return once again, that there will be a second coming, a second arrival that we wait for even now. Because we believe that this, this Jesus, this Messiah, this baby who was born in the manger changes everything. And it changes every way that we experience Christmas as a whole as we celebrate Advent as a whole. And with the arrival of Jesus comes these four main themes of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. I mean, those four themes right there alone are worth celebrating. Would you agree? Hope, peace, joy, and love. And today we start a brand new series for the next few weeks called Not Yet Christmas. You know, there is something that we celebrate on Christmas Day, but it's not yet. It hasn't come yet. But there are things that we wait for. There's anticipation that we have built up around the coming of Jesus. And so these Advent gifts, this hope, this peace, this joy, and this love, these are the things that help us truly recapture the meaning of Christmas. Christmas as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, not just about food and gifts and spending time with family. It's about much, much more. And during this time, I want to invite you, along with myself, to, to experience anticipation, to experience the um, expectation and the longing that we have, not just for something that happened 2,000 years ago, but for something that happened in your life that can happen in your life right here and right now. So this morning, we're going to unwrap the first gift. You see what I did there? Unwrap the first of gift of Advent, which is hope. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that we can put our faith and our hope and our trust in you. 
We thank you, God, that especially during this Christmas season, as we prepared for Christmas Day, God, we pray that you help us to slow down and create space to interact with the season of Advent. We pray, God, you'd help us to be able to be in touch with the deep longings of our heart, God, the things that we really want to see happen within our life. And I pray, God, you give us hope that can only come through the Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You know, hope is a word that we use oftentimes during the holidays, isn't it? We say things like, I hope the Christmas tree will fit in the space that I want to put it in. We say things like, I hope that I get what I want for Christmas. Or we say things like, I hope grandma doesn't burn the ham. Or I hope that it snows this year. Anyone? Now, I want to see it snow. We hope for all these kinds of things. But too often, we've kind of lost the meaning of hope because we've placed hope around these future instances that we want to see happen that in the end are really just trivial. We hope around things that, that are future, but really in the end, they don't really matter that much. And to be honest, are pretty unlikely to happen. That's what hope means to us. But this is not the way that hope is talked about within Scripture. It's not some just super optimistic way of looking at the future. It has to do with something very specific right here and right now. Actually, in 1 Peter, the whole book speaks about hope oftentimes within the chapters and the passages within Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, is a, a passage that really summarizes this word hope. It says this, Therefore, Christians, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his what? Coming. At his advent. At his arrival. There is grace that will come that will give us hope as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Let our minds be alert and sober. You see, hope has a lot to do with the future, but it also has a lot to do with the present, right here and right now. It has a lot to do with our mindset and the way that we live our lives right here and right now. You know, the writer says that we should have our minds that are fully sober. Some translations say, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action that we might have hope. Translated literally, it means to gird up the loins of your mind, which is an odd thing to say. Gird up the loins of your mind. In the ancient Near East, men would wear these long outer shirts that would go all the way down to their ankles. And to gird up the loins literally meant to take that long outer shirt and tuck it up into your belt and reveal more than you want to so that if something were to happen, if you needed to get away, if you had to make quick action, you were able to do it because you had taken care and girded your loins. So First Peter says, listen, may your, may your mind be alert in this kind of way. Maybe, maybe fully sober, ready to act here and now in such a way that it impacts your future. And believe in your future, the hope is to come when Jesus arrives, so much so that it actually alerts you to what's happening here in your present. There are two related things, according to First Peter. The way we interact with our future has everything to do with how we interact with our present and vice versa. Here's a good definition for hope, I believe. Hope is a certainty about the future that influences our present. Hope is a certainty about the future that influences our present. So something we believe that will happen one day influences the way that we live our life, the things that we say, the way that we live, the things that we do right here in our present life right now. That's hope. It's not just some ambiguous optimism for no reason. Our hope is set in actual moments in history. We believe as Christians and followers of Jesus that one day long ago, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ showed up. And when he did, he came to start something brand new and beautiful right in the midst of our mess. But we also believe that he's going to return. And that future hope is the very thing that changes the way we live our life right here and right now in our present circumstances, in the things that we do. It restructures every way that we look at the world around us. For instance, 
I've shared with you before my disdain for falling leaves and fallen leaves. Anyone else feel this pain right now? I mean, I love this season, but as I start to see the leaves change, they're beautiful. But as soon as I walk outside, I'm like, oh my gosh, not again. Because you got to go out and rake all these things and put them in bags. And it's just like, it just seems, and it happens every year. It's amazing. But I've done something different this year. My wife and I, we've made a specific plan. And I know that in, within three weeks, there's a person who's coming to my house and they're raking up all of those leaves. You know how that makes me feel? Alive. It's amazing. There's this future hope that I have that this person is going to come. They're going to take care of these leaves that are in my yard and allow me to live my life right here and right now with pure joy because I don't have to do it. That's what it means to have this future hope on a much larger scale. The fact is we believe as Christians that Jesus, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, one day he will return. And when he returns, he will finish what he started and he will make all things right the way God originally intended. So the struggles the difficulties, the things that we go through right here within our life and the circumstances that we face, we can have hope in the midst of them. It has nothing to do with circumstances. It has everything to do with a future hope and a future promise that has been given to us. You know, the mark of almost every person within the Christmas story within the Bible, the mark of every single one of those people are individuals who are full of hope because of a future promise that was given to them by God. What if we could live our life in the same kind of way? Not hope that was based on something that we could buy at a store or unwrap from underneath the tree, but instead our hope to be based on something that is absolutely concrete, that happened one day and will happen one day, and it affects the way we live here now with alert and sober minds, ready for action. That's what hope looks like according to Scripture. There's a man in the story, in the Christmas story, that's kind of later in the Christmas story. It's an old man named Simeon. Maybe you've heard about this guy. Within Scripture, this man, Sibian, he's a, he's a wonderful Advent character within the Bible. He's a perfect example of someone who has oriented their entire life around a future promise that is given by God. After Jesus' birth, his, his parents, Mary and Joseph, take him to the temple to take part in a lot of the Jewish ceremonies that were kind of ordinary for a family with a new child. And so Jesus, just months old, they go to the temple to spend time in the way that every family would. And when they get there, they're going to dedicate Jesus, and they're going to consecrate Jesus to the Lord. And they arrive at the temple, and this man, Simeon, is there at the temple as well. And the Bible says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to him, to them for the customary law that was required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which has been prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So this man, Simeon, is at the temple when Jesus' parents bring him to the temple to dedicate him. Some scholars believe this man was probably 112 years old. Can you imagine? Being 112 years old and you've been waiting your entire life for what he calls the consolation of Israel. He's been waiting his entire life for this one thing, for the Messiah who was promised in the Old Testament to actually show up here in his life. Now, when he finally sees Jesus, what does he say? You can finally dismiss your servant. I have seen your salvation. He's seen a baby, months old, but he knows this baby means so much more 
than what he's seeing right here and right now. There's some kind of future promise to this child. Now, for some of you, I know there are many people in the room, there's probably other Simeons who are waiting on something as well. Maybe it seems like it's been forever. And you're waiting for God to move. You're waiting for God to act in some kind of circumstance or thing that's going on in your life. And you feel like he's not going to show up. This had to be what Simeon felt like. Think of all the things that Simeon had gone through. He had seen in his lifetime, he had seen the Romans come and conquer Israel and occupy them for a long time. He'd seen bloody civil wars. He'd seen multiple revolutions to overthrow Rome, crushed by Rome. Yet in the midst of all these difficulties and moments in history, Simeon held out hope. He still believed that God had not forgotten about them. He still believed that God would not quit on them. He believed the Messiah that was spoken about would actually come. And in Luke chapter two, he stands there at the temple and as soon as Jesus comes up with his parents, he looks at him and he says, I've seen your salvation. I've seen what you've promised. Simeon shows us that hope is birthed out of a deep longing. A deep longing for and desperation and need for God's presence and for God's comfort. There's a specific thing that, that Simeon is looking for and waiting for at the temple. And we find it in verse 25 when it says, There was this man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This word consolation is loaded with meaning. But this word consolation essentially means encouragement and comfort. Simeon actually believed that what God was going to do is he was going to come. There would be a Messiah who would come and bring comfort and encouragement to his people because of all the things they had gone through. This phrase he actually steals from Isaiah, multiple chapters in the book of Isaiah and the writers in the Old Testament writing the book of Isaiah saying that someone would come who would be the consolation of Israel. In the midst of what they're writing, they've been overtaken by nation after nation after nation. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks. And at the time, in Luke, the Romans. These chapters were written right in the middle of the difficult circumstances that the Israelite people were going through. But they believed that one day God would send someone who would be consolation for Israel who would change everything and bring them comfort and bring them peace. Now, the word that Luke uses as well for the waiting, it's a Greek word, prosdekomai. It literally means to give access to oneself. The kind of waiting that they're talking about with Simeon here is the kind of waiting that's accompanied by pain. Maybe you know what that's like, going through a difficult time. And at Christmas, unfortunately, it's, it's exaggerated, is it not? I mean, Christmas is beautiful, but at the same time, it's so difficult, so painful for a lot of people. And with Simeon, this was the kind of waiting that he had going on in his life, full of pain for his people and for himself personally, through some kind of difficulty. We have a deep need for something, many of us, within our life. And this anticipation that Simeon had, expecting the birth of Jesus, would be the very thing that would come to bring consolation to Israel, comfort and encouragement. We've all got something in our life, some kind of difficulty, some kind of pain that, that we've been wrestling with. And and in my family, for the past four years, um, I have a grandmother named Marilyn Miller. And um, it's funny, I went to my parents' house just the other day, my aunt was in town. And I walked into the house, and I walked into the kitchen. On the kitchen island, there was a little Ziploc bag. And in the Ziploc bag, there was a chocolate chip cookie. And as soon as I saw it, I knew where I'd seen it before. My grandmother used to make chocolate chip cookies exactly like this. It was a kind, I don't know how she did it. All the cookie part would get really flat, and the chocolate chips would kind of mound up all over the cookie. And so I saw it, and I opened it up. I didn't ask, I just ate it. And uh, I took out the chocolate chips first because I'm not a big chocolate fan. You can hate me later. But I took them all out and ate the cookie, and it tasted exactly like the cookies my grandmother used to make for me when I was a little kid. My grandmother's an amazing woman. 
I remember I would go over to her house, and it was kind of a running joke, but every time she would make these cookies, she would always have 10 or 12 that she would make with no chocolate chips. And they were put in a bag, and they were like, these are for Trevor. And people knew they'd get hurt if they would eat any of those cookies my grandmother made for me. And for the past four years, four years ago, on, during Christmas, actually, my family, my dad and I and my grandfather took my grandmother and actually took her to a nursing home. And about six years ago, she began to develop dementia. And I remember watching her forget certain words and then forget certain people and begin to lose her memory altogether. And so for the past four years, my grandmother has been in a nursing home. And um, everyone in my family has dealt with it in some kind of way or another. It's been really difficult for a lot of us. In fact, this summer we had a big get-together, and everyone was there except for my grandma, which is kind of the elephant in the room, you know. And everybody's dealt with it in some kind of way. But to be honest with you, the way I've dealt with it is I haven't dealt with it. Because to be honest with you, I want to think about my grandma like the, the cookie-making grandma, you know? Not the grandmother who doesn't know what's going on around her. And so I haven't been home to Indiana in the past four years. And, and one of the main reasons is because I don't want to have to go face that. I know I can't tra- travel 12 hours and not go see her, but at the same time, it's a difficult thing to even think about or fathom. And for me, this is, this is one of the struggles that I bear in the midst of all of this. How do you have hope in this kind of thing? My grandfather lives five miles from this place, and he goes to see her, see her and bring chocolate to her and spend time with her, but she doesn't know who he is. And you look at something like that, and you think, this is not how it was meant to be. You know? Maybe in your life, you've got some kind of circumstance, some kind of thing, and when you look at it, you're like, this is not how it was meant to be. It's not how it should be. And the kind of hope that Simeon has, the kind of hope that he experiences, the kind of hope that looks around the world around him, and says, this is not how it's meant to be. But hope comes from a deep longing, knowing and believing that when Jesus comes into our life, he brings hope, he brings comfort, he brings encouragement. And if you're like me, sometimes when it comes to a difficult situation like this, the way you deal with it is you don't deal with it. Or you go shopping on Friday at four in the morning, and you sit in long lines, or you have parties, you have some kind of accomplishment, or you just go into denial altogether, or substance abuse. There are so many things that when we come to really recognize the deep longing that is within our lives, instead of finding hope, we just cover it up or push it away. It's not helpful, and it's not healthy. And the kind of hope that Jesus brings when he arrives in our lives is the kind of hope that brings comfort and brings healing. Simply trying to distract ourselves from these things, it causes us to miss altogether the hope that Jesus Christ came to give. And at Christmas time, more than any other time during this Advent season, I want to challenge us to really live into this, to press into this. Instead of pushing it away, live into it. To feel the pain of the deep longing, but at the same time knowing that your God will come through. That upon Jesus' arrival, as we wait and as we anticipate his arrival, he will come and make all things right. All the things that we look at and say, this is not right in your life and in the world around us. There's an ancient prayer of Advent, and it simply went like this. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Say that with me. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In fact, some of the final words in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, some of the last words ever penned simply say, come, Lord Jesus, come. How badly do you want that? Do you feel that kind of burden in your heart? Longing for Jesus to come and make things right. 
Or have somewhere along the way, have you pushed it to the side and just numbed yourself with shopping and family, whatever else it might be? But hope, hope is the theme of Advent. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way about Advent. The only ones who can celebrate Advent are the people who carry restlessness around with them, whose souls give them no peace, who know they are poor and incomplete, and who sense something of greatness that is supposed to be. That's how you celebrate Advent. You carry around the pain, but at the same time, you face the pain knowing that you have hope in Jesus Christ. May this Advent season be different than ever before. Don't allow yourself to be distracted or to self-soothe. Wrestle with the pain. Face the brokenness within the world. It's the only way that we begin to see the emptiness that Christmas too often is with all the hustle and bustle. There's something deeper for us, and it comes from a deep longing within our hearts. And hope is found in our deepest longing, but hope also comes from a very specific source. First Peter told us that our hope is not set in empty, wishful thinking. If this were the case, if this is all hope was, we'd always be disappointed. We'd always find it coming up short. You know, it's not just based on sheer chance. We, we don't find hope in just our 401k or our relationships or our jobs or some president or a good medical report. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, amen? We can't rely on anything else. But as we look back to his coming 2,000 years ago, as we look forward and anticipate his coming once again, that is where our hope rests. As you read throughout the New Testament, there are people after people after people who saw Jesus and missed him as the Messiah. A lot of times as Christians, we look and we're like, what were these people thinking? Get prophecy from the Old Testament, boom, here comes Jesus, how do you miss it? But they missed it, I believe, because they were looking for something that Jesus was not. I think for a lot of us in our life, we miss out on the Messiah and Jesus as well because we're looking for something that Jesus is not. Our hope come from, comes from a specific source. All these people missed him within scripture, but guess who didn't? Simeon. He knew at the minute he saw him, this is the salvation of the Lord. I know it. This is the thing that I've been waiting for. And I think the reason is he wasn't waiting for some kind of effect to happen in his life. He was waiting for a promise from God. There's a difference between waiting for something and putting your hope in, for something and putting your hope in something. They're two different things entirely. You know, the, the people of Israel were looking for a political warrior king to come and overthrow Rome and make sure that Israel was put on top. And when Jesus came as a baby in a manger, when he lived his life, and instead of exerting his power, gave his life up on a cross, it was the exact opposite of what they expected from the Messiah. And yet through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, and the one day when he'll return, this is what it looks like for salvation. This is the consolation of Israel, and it was not what they hoped for. It wasn't what they're waiting for. You see, when our hope is misplaced in anything other than the promises of God, and the fulfillment of promises in Jesus, we tend to settle for lesser things. To me, this was never more evident than the election that we just had. I mean, how many people, they had, they had all their eggs in this one basket, this one candidate. If this thing happens, then things will be good. If not, I'm moving to Canada. You know, the election happened November 8th. It took place. And it could have easily gone the other direction, where the other half of the folks in America would be moving to Canada. But there were people who call themselves Christians, including myself, that found ourselves hoping in a, in a presidential candidate. But you know what I found on November 9th? No matter who was elected president, God was still on the throne. 
Amen? When we place our hope in a broken political system that's run by sinful people, we will always be disappointed. We can't put our hope in accomplishments or the next paycheck or the new job. We can't put our hope in any of these things. Our hope only comes through Jesus Christ, who is the consolation of Israel, who is the Messiah. And as Psalm 146.3 puts it really well when it says this, do not put your trust in princes or princesses, in human beings who can not save. In the end, when we place our hope in these things, we're always disappointed because they can't deliver. But only Jesus is a place where we can place our hope. You know, the beauty of Christmas and the dark side of Christmas are the exact same. Because too often during this holiday season is when everything is exaggerated. All the goodness of the world and the beauty of the world is juxtaposed to all the darkness and all the evil of the world. We have a choice in how we see these things. So the question is very simple. Where do you place your hope? And what do you hope? There's a difference between being hopeful for something and placing your hope in something. And placing our hope in Jesus, I believe, is the only place that we can find real hope for our life. Finally, this hope that we have in Jesus is an active anticipation. It's not something we just believe and sit on our hands and wait for one day for Christmas to come, or we sit on our hands and wait one day for Jesus to arrive. It's much different than that. It's like having a baby. When we got pregnant, my wife and I, both times, you know, all you can do is wait for nine months, really. You eat avocado and those nice things or whatever. But really, you're just waiting. You go to the doctor every once in a while, there's nothing you can really do. Your body just kind of takes over and you're just waiting, waiting, waiting. Nine months for the baby to finally. If you're really anything like me, I'm like, I'm not good at waiting. And so it took forever. I'm like, come on, baby. Just let's go. And this is the way we kind of often live our life. Just we feel like waiting is just waiting. But truth be told, when, when you become pregnant, you're waiting, but there's also a lot of activity that takes place as well. You have to start, you know, painting the, the baby's room. Buying the clothes, getting the diapers, doing all these things. Anticipation and getting ready for the baby to actually arrive. This is what it's like as an Advent Christian waiting for Christmas. We are waiting for Christ's return, but in the midst of it, there's action for us to do. I mean, how do we perfectly prepare ourselves for the time that Christ would return? Maybe this morning, you need to ask for forgiveness from someone. Maybe you need to extend forgiveness to someone. Maybe during this holiday season, we need to serve people and really love people well. Maybe this Christmas, you say to God, you know what, God, I want you to have all of me. So I've been holding back for so long. It's an active anticipation. We wait on Christ's return, but in the midst of it, we live our life in such a way that honors him. You know, our hope, it comes from a specific source in Jesus Christ alone. And we actively live it out each and every day of our life. So this morning, I want to challenge us, all of us, including myself, to be dedicated to this Advent season, to live into this Advent season. Maybe this morning to wrestle with some of the pain, the difficulty that comes along with this season and this time of year. And I think the proper response for us is the response that everyone has had throughout hundreds of years, and it's simply this, come, Lord Jesus, come. I want to pray for us this morning. After each stanza of this prayer, I'd like you to respond with me when I ask you to. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Would you pray with me? Thou Son of the Most High, Prince of Peace, 
be born again into our world. Wherever there is war in this world, wherever there is pain, wherever there is loneliness, wherever there is no hope, come, thou long-expected one, with healing in your wings. Would you respond with me? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Holy child, whom the shepherds and the kings and the beasts adored, be born again. Wherever there is boredom, wherever there is fear of failure, wherever there is temptation too strong to resist, wherever there is bitterness of heart, come, thou blessed one, with healing in thy wings. Would you respond with me? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Savior, be born in each of us today. We raise our faces to your face, not knowing fully, fully who we are or who you are, knowing only that your love is beyond knowing. Come, Lord Jesus, teach each of us to long for you, even though we have forgotten your name. Come quickly. Would you respond with me? Come, Lord Jesus, come. God, this morning, we want to recognize that for many of us, God, we, we have a hope that our circumstances would change, that something would take place within our life. But too often, God, we place our hope in things that, that only fail. And so this morning, God, we want to place our hope in Jesus. Not only the fact that he came 2,000 years ago, but the fact and the belief that he one day will come again and make all things right. It's the hope of Advent. It's the hope of the season. So, Father, I pray for every person here this morning who's hurting, who's in pain, who's struggling, God, who maybe thinks that you're far off and not here in our midst. I pray that today, God, you'd be born once again into our life. And in your coming, God, would you transform everything and make all things new. Father God, we love you today. We need you today. Help us to anticipate with expectancy, God, your coming. It's in your name we pray.